0: Uh, we are tonight in the Church of Pergamus, and we are studying, um, we're about halfway through the notes. Does anybody need notes? Okay, so I have, I don't have last week's notes, but I have some notes from today, so uh, where we're going to pick up, which is still voluminous. So I'm going to give this to y'all. You got yours? Okay, well here's an extra set. Anybody else? I'm going to go past not past 36, no, I'll stop. That's as much time as we'll have tonight. Okay. Can I, I can give you, yeah. Yeah, I'll give you extras. Can I just give all, does anyone over here need a handout? Okay, if you just take what you need and okay. we'll leave them out there for whoever else needs them. All right. Sorry for those, I'm out of the frame. Be praying for Gwen Arnie too. He's, uh, he wasn't highlighted on the list, but we need to keep him in prayer. Cause, uh, he's still going through chemo and. What have you? All right, so we are on. We are dealing with Pergamus, and tonight I want to open up with um, the Book of Revelation. But before we jump into Revelation, just back up a few chapters. I want to look at at, uh, and you'll see the title of our where we left off is dealing with. Um, Pergamus church equals marriage to the world, right? And so, before I jump into that, I want to go to Ephesians five, read a familiar passage. But I want to kind of jump off of Ephesians five before we jump into this Pergamus in Revelation and uh, chapter two. So, Ephesians chapter five, and uh, we'll pick it up down in verse. Um, well, I'm going to. I'm just going to pick it up in in verse uh, um, twenty. Um, twenty ephesians five twenty it says giving thanks always for all things unto God the fa- and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So I really should have picked up in, in verse twenty two verse twenty two deals with wives the, the apostle Paul says, Wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth, and cherisheth it. Even as the Lord the Church, for we are members of His body and of His flesh and of His bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife, and they two shall be one flesh. Now for many of us, that's we were pretty familiar with that, but I wanted I wanted to highlight all of that to say this. Verse thirty two, what Paul says: This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. So as you read it, you're thinking he's talking about a husband and a wife, and of course he is. But then he comes down and he says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every woman uh, of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So Paul is painting a picture here uh, and showing us that the husband and wife relationship that's ordained by God from Genesis 2 is actually a picture of Christ in the church. It's a mystery, as a matter of fact. And I really want to to emphasize verse 32, where it says, this is a great mystery. It's a great mystery. And uh, why do I I mention that? Well, uh, because we've talked about this at different times, Sunday morning, Sunday, um, Wednesday night, but there's these seven mysteries. And tonight, um, we're going to be talking about this marriage. So turn over to Ephesians in our text. This does tie together. Uh, and it ties together with some of our principles that we started with, so I wanted to highlight this tonight in uh, <clears throat> when we look at our text here in verse twelve of Revelation chapter two, we just as a way of remembrance, we have uh, there's seven churches listed in Revelation two and three, and each one of them represents a church age uh, we're in the third church age in Pergamus, uh, which is uh, roughly a time from um, uh, 325 A.D. to about 500 A.D., in uh, as far as history is concerned, and uh, Paul or the the Lord Jesus writes through his gives his revelation to the apostle John, and he says in verse 12, and to the angel of the church of Pergamos, write these things, saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. And uh, we talked a little bit about that last week. Now, it goes on to say, but I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. And we talked about that last week as well. So hast thou also, them that hold the doctrine, right, the teaching of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate, right? He hates their deeds in verse 6, and he hates their doctrine in verse 15. Uh, did you know Jesus hates some things, right? The gentle Jesus, the, the Lamb of God, also has some hate, hatred for some things uh, that are harmful to his children. Verse 16, Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in, that, in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth saving he that receiveth it alright so that's the sum total of Revelation uh, 2 regarding Pergamos this church age from about 325 AD to 500 but um, uh, this, this church age also it represents a time of, uh, of, um, of much marriage and we talked about that um, and how this is how the, the the church was so well the church, the Roman Church is actually married to the world. The the true church continues on, but there's a faux church. And the reason I bring that up, that is why I bring up Ephesians. I want to contrast that with what was going on in history. So Paul writes, uh, you know, that there is this mystery of Christ in the church. But then when we get to as we're going through Revelation, God, you can clearly see that Jesus is laying out some things. There's a there's this Nicolaitan system that we talk about. That is, what somebody other than Jeff and Ron, somebody tell me what is the Nicolaitan system? Just because that's a word that we don't use every day. Anybody remember? All right. So Nico is 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 to exalt, right? It's even the word you think about Nico. You think of Thessalonica. So that Nick is in Greek is like victory, right? It's like conquering. It's being victorious. And la- laity is the other part of that Nicolaitan, right? So it's it's conquering the laity, it's it's overcoming the the uh, common person, basically. It's a it's an exalted position, and there were deeds of Nicolaitans that God hated in uh, in Revelation six. By the time we get over to Pergamos, there's doctrines, so there's actually teachings now. So this is embedded in the teaching, right? Because we're going to marry, we're going to see how. A pagan priest class is married in. That's why there's also the instruction about those who say they are Jews, and are not. There's really not a there's not a legitimate priesthood in the in the history of the world, other than the order of Melchizedek and uh, the Jewish uh, um, um what am I trying to say, Aaron's, Aaron's priesthood, and then the priesthood of believers. Those are the only three legitimate. Uh, priesthoods. The others are, are foes, right? They're phonies. They're fake. And so, uh, and we see that. God's pointing that out to us in the seven churches. In, in the first three churches, we get to see all that. And so, we even see that Satan has a seat. He has a seat of power in Pergamos. And I forgot my slide. I for, Forgive me. I was going to bring this slide. I have slides of this. Uh, you can see that literally there's a replica of the very seat of Satan, the, the altar of Zeus, the seat of power that was in Pergamos. There's a there's a replica of that in the German. Um, you can look it up online, and uh, it's in the German museum, I believe. Um, and it's the scale. You know, people standing there on the steps. So that seat was located in Pergamos. So, uh, which was Pergamum, but it's Pergamos as a female because this is the church. So God has that all worked out in the text. But at any rate. Um, and so uh, Satan's seat is there. We've talked about all these things, so I'm just kind of rehashing a little bit of where we've been. It says it's, it's where Satan dwelleth. Uh, and so the Holy Ghost is equating this worship of, of Zeus, the sun god, whether you want to call him Horus, Zeus, whatever you want to call him, just iterations throughout history, uh, raw, right? So whatever you want to call the pagan sun god, he says, hey, it's Satan. That's Satan's seat. And he's also giving us more information, more information as we go. Uh, he also identifies uh, the martyrdom of Antipas and, and commends Antimus, Antipas, I should say. Uh, and he also, and last week, this is all review from last week, we talked about Balaam, right? And how, you remember when we talked about Balaam? What did Balaam and, and, do, and Balak, what did they conspire to do? Balaam acted all holier than thou. You know, I will never curse God. I can't curse God's people. But what did he teach Balak to do? The, te- the, the text tells us to cast something before Israel. And what was that? You guys have slept since last Wednesday, so just because I'm just kind of rehearsing what all these little connecting points. We went back to numbers. I told you you can go back to numbers and read um, uh, chapter twenty-five. You actually read about four or five chapters, and you read it, and you're like, "Man, Balak looks like Balaam looks like a good guy here. I, I don't, I don't get it. What?" I mean, and then all of a sudden, you see that Balak is getting his daughters. He, he wants to curse Israel on one, on one hand. Next thing you know, he's taking his daughters down and marrying them off to the, the daughters or the sons of Jacob, and, and and they they basically get into pagan idolatry there. And so that was the, the and we find out later uh, that is exactly what the problem was. Was Balaam was the one giving Balak the information uh, on how to be a stumbling block to the children of Israel through fornication and bring in pagan idolatry. It wasn't just it wasn't physical fornication. It was the well it was they should, it wasn't really fornication because they married him. but God didn't want them marrying those 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 women. But then they married him and they brought idol idols in idolatry into the nation of Israel which God was not happy with. Idolatry plagued Israel all the way through the time of Ezra and finally it got expunged after the captivity to some degree and then they started worshipping kind of themselves at that point, kind of like the seven churches, right? So anyway, uh, they start worshiping themselves and telling Jesus that they didn't need him once he showed up. But anyway, that's another another day. So that's what's kind of going on historically in Pergamos. You've got all of these factoids coming together. You have a literal location with Satan's seat. You have uh, this understanding that there is a teaching <coughs> of Balaam who taught Balak to cast stumbling blocks. It has to do with pagan idolatry being introduced until the children of Israel, you have a doctrine of the Nicolaitans, a, a, a faux fake priest class is what that ends up becoming. Um, and we see all of that coming together. Now, last week we were together, uh, we saw, uh, and I'm going to fast forward, oh, let's see, did we, oh, we've already started there. We can't go back, can we? Oh, bummer. Okay, I was going to go back, and if you have handouts from last week, I have all the, the images of the Babylonian mystery religion uh, going back to Pergamos, and I owed you guys some information on that, so I want to I kind of pick up from there, uh, because we're going to see how this, this, this religion uh, gets started. So last week when we were together, i got to find my, hope I brought it, oh no. Um, Amy, can you go to my office and look? I have a handout, it's highlighted with yellow, and I left it on my desk, I'm certain. Uh, it's it's all it's a lot of yellow it's one sheet of paper and it has to do with atlas and mystery babylon religion and all of that i walked off and i know i left that i left that on my desk so i'm going to tap dance for a minute until she gets back but last week we got together and i, I was i told you i wanted to get some information started with you that I, I didn't have time to finish last week i don't have my board up here but i was going to i was going to mark down some things but y- can i get it yeah. Uh there's a there's kind of a process uh for how the church marries uh the world and that's kind of what I wanted to I wanted to I want to throw a few things up tonight. I think you can flip that over, Jeff. Thanks. I hate for you to ever, ever get rid of your pictures. It's not that big of a deal. He's such a good artist. I'm a horrible one. But so I'm going to just roll this right here, right here where I can get to it. So there's kind of a process for how this, how they got married. Just like anything, there's, there's a. I'm just going to write this up here. This is not in our notes. That's why. I'm, yes, that's what I need. Thank you, hon. I will get to that in a moment. <clears throat> there's a. There's a. Much marriage right. So you have. Kind of these phases. That happen throughout the, the church history. First you have a a courtship. And I'm just going to. This will kind of serve. Kind of as an, a framework. For what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, and then you have a. Uh, a proposal. And I'm, I'm, uh, i am I got to give some pr- uh, props here, prop proposal to uh, Greg Axe. I got this outline from Greg. Most of what I got is from Greg on this. Ceremony. By the way, he has a book on church history. You should get it from Living Faith Publishers. So how do we spell ceremony? I think Sarah. I feel like I don't know. I'm brain-dead all the time. Emoni, right? We'll talk about that tonight. Then there's, a, of course, a consummation and a honeymoon. You hear that little squeak? That'll drive you crazy. Consummation, honeymoon... And then there's a divorce. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, there, there's actually another wedding coming up in the tribulation. Uh, the honeymoon, the children, and, um, yeah, that's where we're going to stop. And then they produce their children. All right, so what comes out of this courtship this proposal, the ceremony, the consummation, the honeymoon, the children. Again, this is a, a time period from 325 A.D., right? The, uh, that's when Constantine gets converted to about 500 A.D. So the courtship, we've touched on that already. Uh, it really started much earlier, right? with the Gnosticism and the Asceticism of the School of Alexandria. We'll, we'll probably end on this, actually, so we'll come full circle. And you guys, if you've been in here, you you know what that's about. Right? We talked about origin and the Word of God and all of those things that uh, transpired with that. And then <clears throat> there's the uh, uh, Constantine's Edict in 313. That's the... Uh, 313 AD, that's when all of a sudden the pagan Roman Empire magically becomes a Holy Roman Empire. And he he supposedly becomes a Christian, though that's highly unlikely. Um, and then in 325, the ceremony is the is the council of Nicaea. We'll talk about that a little bit more tonight. We haven't talked about that yet. That's 325. Now this really formalizes this this doctrine starts to formalize. There's there's this is a progression. It didn't just all happen overnight, but this really starts to to make things official and the doctrine uh that we're seeing in in Pergamos starts to get um <clears throat> get uh, nailed down. Oh, the consummation. Boy, here comes Augustine. Now Augustine loves Ph- Philo Plato, and I don't have the dates on this, maybe somebody can give it to me, but he writes City of God. Anybody know the dates on that? And this becomes, again, this just adds to the doctrinal thesis of the church and and starts to drill down uh, these things that God hates. And so the honeymoon comes um, with the papacy, and we'll get to that as well. So that's early 400s. I got I got some dates. I'm not going to date it right now. But the papacy starts in toward the end of the third the 300s, right the beginning of the 400s. Um, actually, I got some notes I scratched down on that. Uh, 314, actually, to 336 is where that starts to really. I'll, just, I'll say 313. So that puts us right here with Constantine's edict. The first real pope starts about that time, and. Uh, and uh his he's Pope uh what was his name? the Holy Papa Sylvester the I, so the, that's, refers to the, the document that Augustine wrote yeah Augustine would be 413 to 426. okay, so we'll just put his dates here four twenty six that's a short life. 413 to 426 yeah, oh okay we'll just put about that approximately let's just put that there all right thank you so city of God uh, that's where you're going to get John Calvin's uh, information later uh, and all of that so uh, which is a rehash of, of a lot of, uh, a lot of philosophy all right then you have uh, the children anybody think guess what do you think the children would be? You know, I mentioned the papacy. Later on, I'm actually, I've got a little outline in here to kind of, at the end, so i probably, I want to make sure these are, okay, good. No, they're not called the children. You can classify several of the, the the last ones that we'll look at here in a little bit on our outline under the children. But to make it simple, uh, I'm going to call it uh, the monast- monastic, uh, monastic orders. Right, that's your monks, you know. That's your, and of course your priests come out of that as well. The monastic orders end up. That's where you really put your asceticism and uh, all of that on steroids. All right, so that's a little bit of boring background, maybe, but it's impo- that's kind of a good template because all of that really develops uh, from about twenty-five AD to five hundred AD. So by the time you get into the full on of the Dark Ages, you got a nice, uh, you got a nice wicked harlot. Jezebel working hard to kill people all right so so Satan uh, he moves his throne this is I want to go back up to where I was last week because <coughs> for the record i wasn 't very clear, and I told you that last week i 'm not clear on my da- on my time and my dates, so it kind of troubled me and i said i got i 've got the numbers in my notes so I, ha- I found my notes they 're right here, I pulled them out of my revelation study and uh, brought them in, printed them off, and brought them in so let me read to you. A little bit about this throne, the Pergamus, and the slide I didn't provide you tonight. Um, <clears throat> so let's let's just imagine. Uh, last week, if you were here, I talked about how how did this seat in synagogue of Satan transfer to Rome? Because that is a huge piece of the puzzle. Uh, as a matter of fact, this is a very relevant topic because there's some discussion even among our living faith fellowship about oh who you know uh, is is. Uh, you know, is Rome mystery Babylon religion? I can tell you, based on the Word of God, yes. Um, That is not to contradict anything else that anyone else is saying, because uh, certainly Jerusalem has a role in this, because eventually Rome marries the Antichrist, Revelation 17 very clearly, right? And then she gets wiped out, midpoint of the trib, or even before that, so Satan can take on the role of God in the flesh. He lets his wife opposite of Jesus, who dies for his wife, Satan, throws his under the bus, and of course he's seated. The seat is moved to where? In the tribulation. I'm kind of getting out of, I'm ending church history. Now Ron and Jeff you can type in if they want to, or Pat, or whoever. Where does this, the story of our history, uh, is going to end, well not end, but before the millennium, is going to end in Jerusalem with Satan, uh, as as the faux Christ, anti-Christ. We're talking about that on Sunday morning. So, So there is room for Jerusalem, yes, to inherit mystery Babylon religion, certainly, because well, she marries the Antichrist, all right? So it actually makes perfectly good sense. Also, Revelation 17, she gets judged, and then Revelation 18, uh, there's still more discussion about uh, Babylon and what goes on there. So there's a political Babylon, religious Babylon. Anyway, that's another lesson. That's another Bible study, but I just kind of throw that out in the air, in the atmosphere. So... People calm down and uh, don't get too excited. All right, so so Satan moves the seat, but right now we're not in the we're not at the we're not in you know what's coming in a few years. We're right here where where we are in history historically. Um, the date I was really missing was five thirty six B C, which I should know. So shame on Brian, right? So five thirty six B C, what happened? What is a big deal in five thirty six B C? With I'll give you a hint with Israel. Anybody remember from one of Jeff's classes, maybe, in HBI? All right, so let's just go back to 606 B.C. What happened, Ron, in 606 B.C.? So 606 B.C., the Israel was taken captive, and there were several different all in to captivities but in 536 B.C., it was the 70 years of Jeremiah. Exactly. That's fine. That's perfect. That's So 70 years, there's this prophecy... Israel goes into captivity for 70 years, and it happens. So Belshazzar, there's a dude named Belshazzar, and he's actually, just so happens, got the, got the instruments of the temple, uh, the, of the Jewish temple, uh, which has been taken captive 70 years earlier, and he's mocking God, having a party. This is all recorded for you, by the way. I'm not going to read it for time's sake, but Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 through 30. So you can go back and read this account. And God, man, God is fired up and says, oh, hey, you're not going to make it through the night, pal. And uh, and you're going and so literally that night he there, he writes this on the wall God writes on the wall, and uh, he says, "Hey, uh, I forget what it is. I don't. I can't speak. I don't remember exactly. I'd have to go back and read it." But he puts writes on the wall, sends him a message, and basically says, "You're done." I'm paraphrasing it. And that night, unbeknownst to uh, Belshazzar, literally because this was God's movement, five thirty six BC, they're invaded by the Medes and the Persians. And and it's it's turned over just like that. Kingdom up, kingdom gone. Babylon's over. In Daniel's prophecy, where he saw the iron mixed with clay and all of that. That image, the head of gold, it's gone. And you move right into the Persian Empire, or the medo Persian Empire, to be more specific. Okay, that's an important date. That's a date you need to mark down because, well, at that point, the priesthood in Babylon, obviously, they they weren't they were no longer they weren't grooving on on Daniel, right? Belshazzar was mocking God. So the the, the progress that Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar made, uh, which he did, Nebuchadnezzar uh, for, acknowledged God and then eventually submitted to God. He called on the Lord. You know, he, they, he was convinced after he had a little time chewing the cud out in the field for a while. Um, he finally realized, oh, man, this God of Daniel is the God, not just a God. And so, uh, but that didn't get passed on to Belshazzar. So Belshazzar, is back to Babylonian mystery religion, all right? So, now this is where we, this is not, you're not going to find this in the Bible, but you're going to find this in history. From that point on, well, you do find it in the Bible. There is a seat in the synagogue of Satan because history records that, that temple in Pergamum from 536 to 133 A.D. That, that is the dates that I needed to be specific about. 536 to 133 A.D., there was a successive line of Babylonian priests that fled 536 from Babylon. You can't have the Babylonian religion in, in literal Babylon just down the street literally from Baghdad uh, today because it was taken over by the Medes and their gods. And so they moved it to Pergamum. And so uh, Pergamum is where the, the seat in the synagogue was located. And that is documented history. And a successive line of Babylonian priests, priest gods. And they were the they believed they were the bridge to the God world, is through them, these priests. And so uh, uh, they were the. Bri- that's where the Pontifex Maximus comes from. Yes, Ron? Uh, forgive me, sir, but you were saying A.D., I think you meant B.C. B.C., yes. 536 B.C. to 133 B.C. This is all even before Christ is born. So, that's so important. Thank you. Of course, we also know in that same image, right, uh, or in the same prophecies of Daniel... You get the you get the prophecies of Greece right that ram comes out that's Alexander the Great so this guy rises up out of uh, yeah the Hego out of out of Macedonia uh, his son Philip's son I think his dad's his name was Philip so Alexander the Great comes up out of out of uh, Greece and becomes this incredible I mean he has so he's conquered everything except Jerusalem by the way because he had a vision and and he said, I'm just going to let those guys stay alone here. And he, he left them alone. Um, but my point is, so uh, <clears throat> all of that, as that's going on, the, the priesthood of Babylon is still going on. Pergamus. But guess what happens? Um, there becomes Roman rulers, right? After, after Alexander comes Rome. And in 133 B.C., not A.D., thank you, Ron, for correcting me. That's the date. And I was struggling with that last week. Attalus is the priest. He is the last he's the last Babylonian priest uh, that, would, that carried that title that was successive from the Babylonian religion. Who do you think he gave his title to? Anybody? You just throw a wild guess out. Who, let me put it this way. If you were under the occupation of Rome, who might you give your title to? Rome. Rome. <laughs> and who might head up Rome? Well, not the Pope yet. Huh? Caesar, Caesar right. The Caesar, the Roman Caesar. So the Roman Caesar, this again is a fact of history. That's why the Roman Caesars were called uh, Pontifus, Pontifus Maximus as well from 133 forward. It's actually, historically, it's printed on their money. They called him the Pontifus Maximus. So that was not a religious title. They, became the chief, they took that on as the, because that put them in the place of bridging the gap between man and God, the Caesars. And they believed they were gods, of course. We know that just from history. All right, so that gives you a little bit of background. Uh, now, how did it get to the Regia in Rome? Well, that's when it transferred, when the, when the seat was transferred from Constantinople to Rome, uh, the Regia, to, that's where that, that's where that uh, priesthood or the uh, Cardinal, College of Cardinals and all that was also transferred with it. They were already meeting there in 325. Okay, so, um, so that goes back to ancient Babylon, Babylonian religion. I don't want to get too far into that. But the, the initially... Nimrod took a prostitute named Samarimus, and Nimrod was uh, <coughs> um, defied. Uh, defi- no, not defied. it should be defiled. But anyway, um, sh- she bore a child called Tammuz, who who uh, she claimed to be the product of the sun, and the reincarnation of Nimrod after Nimrod had died. And then she became a female deity known <coughs> by many names, but Ishtar was her Babylonian name, which is recorded in the Word of God, and Tammuz was the sun god that she worshipped. So that's what was carried forth over into Babylon. And so that name, though, was used, uh, those practices of the sun god, dates back to um, uh, the Samaritans called her Inanna, Uh, the Babylonians called her Ishtar, the Egyptians called her Isis, Rome called her Venus, Uh, the Ephesians we know in in the book of Acts calls her Diana. Same female deity, different name. Um, and the priesthood of Babylon continued again from five thirty six to one thirty three BC and so that Attalus the Third is the one again who was the one who transferred the title to the Roman Caesar. and uh, and of course, Attalus was given the title Magian, a Babylonian priest who took the sole right of the bishopric. The Latin name is Pontifus Maximus, so that was a, that was a Latin name the the original name was Magian. of course you hear. Even in, when we talk about the Bible, the Magi, the, the wise people, so that you can tie that together. That has to do with Babylon. The, the wise men came out of Babylon. And so that's what we talked about last week. So I want to get those dates cleared up. And that actually ties you into the seat and synagogue of Satan. Uh, because it's obviously uh, important because he, write, he points it out that there's a seat. This is a place of power. Uh, and that's political power. And then there's a synagogue, um, which is a place of religious power. And so uh the, the Satan's seat is there and then uh the synagogue, where's the synagogue? I just lost it. Um, hang on a second. Should be over here. Satan's seat. Verse eight. Back back in um, Smyrna, the angel of the church of Smyrna, write these things, say, uh, or not, three, not 2 not eight, 3 eight. you got to go over to, to uh, the Philadelphian church age. He says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door that no man can shut, for thou hast a little strength, uh, verse 9, and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. All right, so we start off with the seed of power, but eventually this turns into a, a worship, you know, religious worship. Now, it's a synagogue of Satan, which is Jewish, but just understand that um, uh, these say they are Jews or not. They take on the priesthood. They're the ones saying that the Israel of God is them, right? So I think, there's a, I think actually the Holy Ghost is teaching us some things about how these two will also marry in a time yet future. But this isn't prophecy class, so I'm just going to step back from that and uh, leave that there for now. Okay, so you guys, are you guys tracking with me thus far? Because I'm, I'm going, to, I'm, I'm really talking about a lot of history and a lot of big ideas here. And, uh, but I'm trying to give you enough information to, to kind of work out how all this comes together. So let's get to our, to our study. So the marriage ceremony takes place at the Council of Nicaea. So we've talked about the courtship, school of Alexandria, the proposal, Constantine's edict, right? He all of a sudden, on the sign of the cross, conquers everything, and he's the man. Everyone needs to be a Christian or you will die. The point of a sword. Yeah, that's not quite how the gospel goes forward. And then, um, and then there's a ceremony in 325 AD, Council of Nicaea. So, a council convened by the Roman Emperor Constantine. So, uh, he gets this party started. Now, were there churches before this? Well yeah, for 300 years since Jesus started the church. So this is this is not the church necessarily. This is what's going on with Constantine uniting Christianity under a solidified doctrinal agreement and the pagan Roman Empire which had previously been <clears throat> persecuting the Christians. Now the 10 by the way, 10 historic Roman persecutions from the 1st century up to the 3rd century. So waves of persecution against Christians suddenly overnight now is under Constantine's Christian lead, and uh, and have a much more powerful direction, and so uh, certainly that I'm sure brought some hope and some some I'm sure there was some sort of uh, some folks that said, "Hey, look, I'm not fond of getting killed. I think I'm going to join up with this thing." All right, so uh, so what is what this council actually accomplished? Um, sorry, th- was to officially marry. Christianity to pagan Rome and so um, I'm sorry oh direction Okay, so, <clears throat> so you understand a little bit of how that's all coming together. So you have this powerful uh, Caesar who is now uh, convening the church under the sign of the cross or else, and now he needs, he needs to convene the, the doctrine, get everybody on the same page. So how did Satan bring this marriage together? That's the next question. Um, well, on February 24, 303, pagan Rome... Roman priests stir up the emperor, Diocletian, to issue a series of edicts, which you have there in your in your notes, um, and those are, you know, Christian buildings are to be torn down, Christian scriptures and writings are to be burned, and Christians are to forfeit their civil rights. Uh, those are, by the way, pretty much the same edicts that you'll be hearing probably, you know, soon, but uh, those are, that's the kind of stuff that happens, you know, all over the world, happens in India, happens You know, where people are persecuting Christians, like in China right now, right? Buildings come down, uh, scriptures get banned, and then you lose your personal property, along with sometimes your life, If you know, depends on how things roll. Uh, And that's, you know, that's how it's been for 2,000 years. So that's kind of how things are rolling through those persecutions. Those those persecutions, note, it's 303 AD, so we haven't gotten to this, this point yet. Amy, are you making more copies? Did we run out of copies? I guess so. Sorry about that. Um, if you need a copy, Amy is running around serving up the notes. All right. So what would she say? Okay. So they'll be out front. You can drive by tonight if you're watching online. They'll be out front. All right. So near the end of uh, Diocletian's reign, uh, there are two men vying for the title of emperor. Uh, Maxentinius, which uh, this is in your notes, right? And then Constantine. Which, by the way, is the story of Rome, man. These dudes are... Have you ever studied Rome? There's some, there's some documentary. There's good stuff out. You can. There's a lot written about the Roman emperors. And, I mean, it's a bloodbath, you know. There's a reason the mafia comes from Italy. Because these guys are just like... They are cutthroat, just killing each other every chance they get. And so, uh, and if, you know, if they don't kill each other, someone else kills them. I mean, it's just terrible. I wouldn't want to be a, a Roman emperor. But anyway, um, absolute power corrupts absolutely so you got Constantine and then you in 312 AD there's two men who meet in battle to determine who's going to reign so it all comes down right it's coming down to the the big battle and so this is known as the battle of uh, Milvian Bridge or Saxa Arubra and so Constantine wins the battle and becomes the new emperor of the west right so he becomes the man and so during this battle Constantine uh, has a vision now um what would he see in this vision? You know, I think he was down at, at Independence, and all of a sudden, a picture of Moroni comes, or Jesus. No, it wasn't any of that. It was a sign of the cross. And so he has, a, he has this vision of the sign of the cross in the sky, and a voice says, by this sign thou shalt conquer. And so all of a sudden, man, he's motivated, and he says that the cross was actually the first two letters of the Greek rendering of the word Christ, which you can see there in your notes. And we put that uh, put that in the notes. Are you guys keeping up with the notes right now? Everything good? Okay. And so Constantine claims to be this Christian because, well, of his experience, right? And we all know that that's how you become a Christian is how you feel, which is not obviously how that happens. But does his experience make him a Christian? Right. That's the real question. It's in your notes. He has very he has no testimony at all. Constantine does not have. a a, a testimony of being born again. You know, Paul was on the road to Damascus, and he did see Jesus. And he had a testimony of a a changed life, right? And you could tell he met Jesus. He also had a gospel. Um, Not this case at all. There is nothing about Constantine's conversion that would really emulate anything to do with the death and burial and resurrection. So only through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection can someone be saved. You must be born again. It doesn't matter if you are it doesn't matter who you are in this world. You've got to bow your knee and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God or you're not saved. you got to believe in his, his his death on the cross for your sins, the fact that he was buried and he rose again the third day. And you've got to trust him and him alone for salvation and his finished work on the cross. That is not the testimony of Constantine. I just want to stress that. And yet he's lifted up to this day as, as, a, as a Christian emperor, Christian in name only. There's a lot of people lifted up as Christian leaders that aren't even born again, by the way. And so, after this experience, uh, he has this symbol um, that, <clears throat> uh, of the cross placed on all the soldiers' helmets and shields. And all true Romans will fight under the sign of the cross. So if you're really on with the Romans, you're going to fight under the sign of the cross, which you've seen, right? Even back in all the Crusades, everybody's got the, the cross on their shield. So you can see uh, he used many variations of, of this symbol, this Greek letter uh, chi, uh, or our letter X and the Greek row, or our letter P. And so that was the sign of the cross. And there's some variations of that. And you've probably seen that, uh, you know, here and there throughout the years. And those are still pretty prominent. That one, the first one there has alpha and omega. Well, three of them have alpha and omega with them. So the sign of the cross with the Greek letters alpha, omega. Sorry? Yes, ma'am. We're going to talk about that. It's a good question. We'll see. It's not all bad, and it's not all good. So to, I'll, I'll give you that much, but we'll get to that. So um, so uh, where am I at? So, so Constantine and, and uh, uh, Licinius, leader of the East, proclaimed the Edict of Milan in 313 A.D. And so uh, it granted Christians absolute uh, religious freedom hallelujah uh, church property formerly confiscated would be returned well that's a good thing uh, pagan temples that were particularly offensive to Christianity were destroyed uh, that's not all bad um, ok be careful Christian clergy were exempt from taxation and were soon paid by the state I like the exempt from taxation part but paid by the state uh, watch out so if you're paid by the state, who controls you? State, that's right. Uh, and so by 321, Sunday was proclaimed a day of rest. Because the, when is the Sabbath, by the way? It's Saturday, right? It always has been, always will be, Saturday. The first day of the week is the day of the resurrection. That's Sunday. And so, but Sunday was declared, declared a day of rest, which is cool. Christians could meet. That's a big deal, by the way. That's a big deal in, like, India and in places where we go because Christians, you know, they like to meet on the first day of the week, not just because it's an American thing. It's a biblical thing. But yet a lot of them work on Sunday because Sunday, in like India, is not a day of rest. It's not a day of, it's not a day of worship. Saturday is still a day of worship for Hindus. And really they don't even have a, a day necessarily. And, and so uh, it's not always easy to meet. The Americans have a we – the, we're, we're the ones with the weekends off because it's been developed around the, both the Sabbath and the first day of the week. And so in other countries, you know, you got that's why a lot of times they have church services at night on the first day of the week. Because everybody's got to go to work in the day and then meet at night. So that's just a little side note. So, uh, so in uh, 324 A.D., Constantine promised 20 pieces of gold, uh, which is about $800 today, and a white robe for all the new converts. That's not a bad payday. So that's a lot of money when you think about it. I mean, that'd go a long way. If I gave a if I gave an Indian eight hundred U.S. today for a, one convert, man, I'd have millions of converts. That whole nation would be converted. <laughs> so, because eight hundred dollars, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Huh. Yep. Yep. Not to mention you have a sword. <laughs> so, co- and to be converted means to be baptized, right? So, and uh, and so that. You know, let's just sprinkle everybody. And so, in the first year, there was twelve thousand men baptized. Not a bad, not a bad go. So this this uh, new Christian emperor was really getting it done. But you can obviously uh, see the problems here. This is not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is this is manipulation, to put it mildly. And um, and it wasn't had nothing to do with Jesus. It wasn't the gospel. All right. So so you can see some of the problems going on. Uh, And these are facts of history. So back to the marriage ceremony, the Council of Nicaea, back to the question that uh, our dear sister has. Well, was that good or bad? Well, uh, there's some good things that came out of it, like uh, like clarifying the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. So that's not bad. But um, let's just talk about that. So Constantine invites all clergymen to an uh, all-expenses-paid meeting to determine uh, the official doctrines of the church. By the way, I, I refuse these meetings to this day. I get Every time there's a, a religious, a political cycle around, comes around. Uh, ever since I've been a pastor here, I get these little, especially the Republican, the GOP. The Democrats don't seem to do this so much for church leaders. But the GOP will send you an invitation to go to Kansas City or St. Louis, to the Hyatt or some other hotel. And they want you to listen to, uh, you know, some dude that's a cool dude, you like him or whatever. And I'm not saying it's all bad, but what they want to do, what they, you know, they, what's the exchange? If I take that invitation, and they pay for a nice dinner for me and my wife and a hotel room for the night. So if I go to this thing, what do you think the expectation is? Huh? You think they just want me and Amy's vote? Bingo. They want me to come back here and say, you know, you need to really vote for this ticket, right? Because these are all the merits of all these guys, it just on the face of it, it just seems a little sleazy, doesn't it? And so I just stay away from all that stuff. I'm like, you know what? We got a higher calling. If you want to come and and convince us, why don't you get born again, come to our church and serve in ministry? Why don't you have your pastor call me and give you his endorsement? <laughs> you know, that'd be a lot better than uh, you know going about it that way. So. And I'm not, again, I'm not, I actually like some of these guys that, that, that they have on the ticket and they want you to hear. I mean, personally, I'd probably enjoy listening to what they got to say. What I don't enjoy is being solicited as a pastor for the influence over the church. That just makes me go, no. Are you kidding me? The, our bride, this bride's going to keep her garments clean. We're not going to get into all that. But this issue of church and state coming together, you can see in this time how that started very early. Uh, and so uh, that's why you live in a privileged country. That's why when the founding fathers of this nation uh, put, a, put a separation for freedom of religion, not, not a lack of influence, by the way, but, a, but to keep us from being manipulated by uh, the powers that be. That's why there's freedom of religion. It's not so that we can't influence the powers that be. It's that they don't come in, take our property take our bibles and kill us i mean that's pretty much the three things that uh, that uh, we are guaranteed under the constitution and also why we do have a bill of rights by the way which was added after the the uh the declaration after the constitution after the continental congress and so that had to be amended and so and by the way baptists were very influential in the bill of rights that's another story so i'm not saying that we shouldn't be involved in political everyone here should vote your conscience and all of that i'm all for voting I, and all of that, but but I'm not. I'm, but you got to be very careful, because the devil will marry the church of the state as soon as you give him a chance. So you got to be very careful with all of that. All right, are you guys tracking with with me? Because you can see where all this is headed. So he gets these 318 uh, bishops assembled, and they come to this doctrinal agreement concerning the Trinity, the Godhead, as I call it, because that's the Bible word. And uh, they believe that this issue was the real crisis in Christianity at, the time, at that time in history. And so the whole uh, time they, they are using uh, beads, uh, worshipping the mother goddess, touching statues and touching their, uh, their ailments, and confessing their sin to men. So the Godhead's a big deal. <laughs> but there were some other major problems uh, of paganism going on in the church. And if you've ever traveled around, uh, even in the states, but uh, around the world, you it doesn't take you long when you go to a place that's steeped in paganism to you're like, whoa, what is that? Not just because it's not American Christianity, but you see, there's certain things like syncretism. I talk about that a lot. You're like, whoa, wait a minute, you know that is not that is not biblical. And so, so they authorized the, or they authored, I should say, and authorized the Nicene Creed. Which uh, I put up there, in uh, 325, and is that in your notes? So you can. There's a typo there at the bottom on the third to the bottom sentence, but it should be out, not ow. But it says um, we believe. And you, if you've been in a, any of you been from a liturgical church, well, I know like Jeff, some of you were born Catholics and stuff. So, but we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, Maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is the essence of the Father. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, both in heaven and in earth, uh, who for us men and for our salvation came down and was, that uh, should be was, not wide, It wide, was incarnate and was made uh, man. Uh, he suffered, and the third day he rose again, ascended into heaven. From thence uh, he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, and in the Holy Spirit, uh, but those who say there was uh, a time when he was not and he was not before he was made and he was made out of nothing or he is of another substance or essence or the son of God is created or changeable or alterable they are condemned by the holy catholic and apostolic church uh, those last words are highlighted there holy catholic what's what's catholic mean by the way universal right um, and apostolic why would it say apostolic? And well, I'll get into that in a minute. But they claimed the authority of the apostles, and so you can see in three twenty-five. Now, I'm not making this stuff up. I mean, in three twenty-five, these terms, these doctrines, mean something, and uh, they get really they get twisted big time. Um, if you if you are in Rome today, let's just talk today. Where's this gotten us today? And I'm not saying this to be a jerk face. I'm just saying this is the truth. What does on the, in the Roman Catholic books to this day, and, and let me just be careful here because I think people are going to think I'm a Roman Catholic basher. I, I'm not talking about Roman Catholics. I'm not talking about all my relatives, by the way, that are Roman Catholic. I love you guys. I love Jesus. You guys know me. I just this is the Bible. This is truth in history, right? So but the truth of the matter is, uh, the reality is that to this day, the Roman, the Holy Roman Catholic Church would classify myself as a heretic, look, formally, because I do not submit to the Roman Catholic Church. And the Inquisition laws are still on the books. Nobody's repented of that. They just quit doing it in the late 1800s, which isn't that long ago in history. And so, yes, sir. Right. Yeah, the Roman Catholic Church would call they would consider me a Protestant. No distinction between a Bible believer and a Protestant. And we're not a Protestant church. We are a Bible believing church. I would say this church and what we believe predates the Roman Catholic Church. That's why we're going to Bible believers biblical heritage. That's what we're talking about. But the Roman Catholic Church doesn't care and you then are a heretic. It didn't matter. If, if uh in the dark ages if you said well excuse me uh, I just want you to know I've never agreed with any of this and I'm not even part of this just keep on moving <laughs> right no you are protest if you're not part of the Holy Catholic Church you're a heretic and you're gone and so um, so anyway that uh yeah amen to that so but Heartland is not protesting uh, because there's nothing if anything they're just they're already I'm just I'm worried for them because they're going to be judged harshly. And so I don't think the church can be reformed because it was never based in biblical truth. And so, um, and so there's nothing to reform about the That's why we are not reformers either, and we don't espouse reformed theology uh, because there ain't, there ain't nothing good. Well, there's nothing about this doctrine that came from Augustine that it found its way into the Protestant movement that we're going to adhere to other than solo scripture, I will give them that. But that, I got a book in the library, by the way, in our library, that will make a really strong case why the Reformers even got Reformed was because of Bible preachers, people who believe the Word of God and were preaching it. But that's that's a whole other, that's a, you can come to HBI and go to church history and we get into all that. But anyway, all right, let me stay on track or I'm going to get off track. So, you, you guys still tracking with me? So, here's an important note. Accepting the Nicene Creed is not a prescription for the new birth. So, it's got some stuff that's not all bad, and there's some stuff in there that's not all good. But being born again is a matter of personally receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. right? You must be born again. And so Satan will always give you something good in exchange for something better. right? And uh, I don't think I got my second point up there. Um, okay, so I think I got my notes messed up a little bit. But uh, let me go back here. So Satan will always give you something good. That's the blank in exchange for something better. So if he can get you to be religious, that's great. But he doesn't want you to be saved. If he can get you to to uh, do good works, that's wonderful. But he doesn't want you to trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work. All right, so point B. The good that came from the... Which answers your question. Uh, thank you for asking. Uh, from the Nica- from the Council of Nicaea. is Number one, the person of Jesus Christ... Was clarified. So Jesus is God. So God, and God is the, the Trinity or Godhead, as like is the biblical word. And so the horrific persecution of the church stopped. Right. So for a season, the church got a respite. So there was a season of peace and rest for the church, uh, sort of like we've had here in the states for the last couple hundred years, nineteen eighty. Yeah. So. We've had a couple hundred years of rest here, praise the Lord, uh, from persecution. All right, so uh, and then point C, the better the better w- which was lost at the Council of Nicaea is the true doctrine of salvation. You can see that to this day. So the main thing that Satan's concerned about is 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 that the last thing he wants people to do is be regenerate, have the Holy Ghost enter their life and change them from the inside out through faith in Jesus Christ. Right, so. He strips that right out of there. That's not even really the. That's not even a primary concern. Um, and so, uh, so salvation is absent, uh, biblical salvation, and the final authority for the church is no longer the Bible. But who is it? Well, it's the it's the leaders of the church. All right. So you can see, getting back to our template in our in our in our text in Pergamus, uh, we have this seat of power that's now in the hands of a, of a Roman uh, named um, Constantine, he's bringing together the religious leaders. The seat of power, the, the Pontifex Maximus, brings together the religious leaders, and he marries them together. Now the church and state are one. And by the way, you're getting paid to go get people converted, but nobody's getting born again. All right, so you you see how that all goes together. Uh, And that final authority is not, thus saith the Lord God. It's what a bunch of guys get together and say it is. All right, so, um, and by the way, one thing I want to point out here, too, is in the Bible, um, the the final authority is vested in these councils. And that will continue on. And the, the edicts made by these councils, as time goes on, get very, very... Scary if you're not on the, if you don't land on the side of the council. Yes, ma'am. They actually, and we're going to get to that. Man, you're a good student. So we're getting to that. that we're going to end on the Bible that, that comes out of this. So they end up with a Bible that they want, which gets back to origin. So yeah, we're heading there. But you're just one step ahead tonight so uh, that's good I want to point out here these count, the final authorities of counsel in your Bible uh, do a word study and if you were in my Acts study on Sunday morning on the preaching anybody remember what I said about counsel Councils with the CIL when you study them in the Bible did it stick with anyone man nope spaghetti fall off the wall so every time you see the word counsel in the Bible is it good or bad Bad, that's right. So every time you see the word counsel in the Bible, it's against who? Christ. And that's not to be confused with counsel, like lore, S-E-L at the end. But counsel in your King James Bible, always against Christ. Just go check me out. Go look up every reference of it. Interestingly enough, these councils are making up the doctrine. Now remember, who took counsel with Balaam. And Balak, right? Balak, a leader, took counsel with Balak, Balaam, a religious man, to come up with counsel, S E L, to try to bring paganism to the Jews and corrupt them, which Satan's all about. Because ultimately, he's going for them too, because they get the they get the inheritance on the earth. Matthew chapter five. So he's he's uh, spiritually, he doesn't want to read. At this now, this is also important. I don't want to get too far into this. Uh, This is more for my Revelation class coming up in HBI, but well, I'm just gonna—I'm not gonna go there. I need to stay where I'm at. All right, so let's talk about an important note here. So, uh, the Roman Catholic Church places the creeds developed at these councils as equal level with the inspired Word of God. These creeds become elevated, so you dare not argue them with the Bible because they're equal to Scripture. And who are you, by the way, if you weren't invited to head up one of these these places? Who are you to argue with these scholars? Right, These, you're, you're just a, exactly you're a laity to be conquered alright you get in the picture so we must exercise our minds biblically uh, view things going on in, in the name of Christianity we've got to be careful when you're reading Shaf everything that's called Christian is not always very Christian so what is important is not what's spiritual or Christian but what is biblical or scriptural Right. That's, and that's the way we try to roll at HBF what's biblical and scriptural and this is really important today um, because there's a lot of things called Christian today, Christian music, Christian. There's a whole subculture called. You can live your whole life in a Christian subculture and never even get out of it because of technology. I mean, they've got they market to Christians. You could live your whole life in a country subculture and never get out. I mean, today technology has you pigeonholed, and so there's not as much cross pollination because you get what you want. You can, you order it. you don't like when I was a kid i had to I had to endure whatever was on television you yeah, had four five and nine forty one sixty whatever and i mean you just had the u h f channels and that's it if you if I didn't like the cartoons, I was just out of luck you know I just had to watch what was there. I didn't have the luxury of just dialing up whatever I wanted right, and so people had to cross pollinate a lot more today, everybody gets what they want the way they want it. this this hit me when my kids were coming up uh because i noticed I started noticing that, I'm like, wow, they get what they want, they don't have to watch anything else, you know, they get, they get served whatever it is that they want, and so we got this whole Christian subculture, you want this music, you want this teaching, you want this, that, and the other thing, it's all Christian, but obviously not all of it's Christian, uh, John Cooper, uh, he's a, and I know a lot of you don't like John Cooper, because he leads Skillet, but man, that dude's on a rampage, he's a, about, about how much of Christianity isn't Christian, <laughs> and uh, he, uh, he's, a, he's, I'm, I'm like, that's off to you, John. I don't know where he's at on his Bible, but uh, King James and all that, but uh, he's certainly right. There's a gospel being preached that is not from Christ. And it's in Christian music, Christian circles, Christian this, Christian that. I mean, look at all the false teachers. And TBN isn't going to ban them. Uh, Caleb, are you kidding me? I mean, they'll play whoever. Uh, is exactly, it's all about the money, money. All right, so so we must have the discernment to see beyond the good and the things that are being accomplished in order to see what better things uh, we're giving up right and it's it's like positive encouraging music it's not all bad i'm not against it right but at the end of the day we we don't want to miss out on the word of god okay moving on so the fruit of marriage between the church quote quote church um let's look at this and this is this is an, this is kind of enlightening and it's in your notes here but you have some uh you have some uh, details to fill in so the pagan Roman government officials become the Roman Catholic hierarchy so the pagan Roman Emperor which is which is who Constantine is he's not the first Pope by the way he doesn't claim that but it's only it's only I have this note written down um, Sylvester takes it by 314 so his edict uh, in 313 he's not the Pope but by uh, but Sylvester the takes it on. So within the life of Constantine, there's a pope, or just after his death, there's a pope named Sylvester the And so the popes are in play very soon after this. Um, and so uh, moving on, what am I got? So the pope is the emperor. Uh, the uh, The pagan Roman Senate becomes the College of Cardinals, uh, which which also was meeting in the Regia in Rome. That building's still there; you can see it. The pagan uh, imperial governors become the archbishops. So the, inf- the, the hierarchy is already there. All this is tied to the state. Uh, the pagan provincial governors become the bishops, the overseers. Um, and then the pagan uh, civites, the mayors of the parishes, become the priests. Let me pause right here. You see this. It's interesting to me. Uh, over time, I've noticed this same structure is implemented in a lot of the cults as well. So the Mormons have a very similar process. The JWs have a very similar structure. So that you actually see this. When you see that implemented, you can, you can kind of tell, oh, that's, I can, I've seen that fingerprint somewhere before. So it isn't just unique to Rome. It's really unique to the way Satan structures things because he's the prince and power of the air. Certainly he wants the religious activity tied to the state. And so that hierarchy is imp- implemented in his cults as well. Uh, by the way um, and what, and ultimately why do you need that kind of hierarchy it's common sense you've got to control everything if you're a JW a JW is not free to read their bible and think on their own they have to believe what comes out of New York out of the publishing house bottom line they're brainwashed big time um, and Mormons man it's a hierarchy LDS is what I'm referring to uh, you, you lose that hierarchy like the RLDS and all of a sudden it starts to fall apart yeah Ron Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, Ron's pointing out, if you can't hear him, that's a good counterfeit of what Jesus is going to be doing in the millennium. That's a good point. It just counterfeits that. Um, and then there's the, the temple, the uh, the pagan temple virgins, like you had in, in, in uh, Ephesus, which were basically temple prostitutes. They become the nuns. And I know that's like seems blasphemous, but that is actually the case. There's a lot of nasty things associated with that. I got a I got a seven for you if you want it. Because the gods, small g, the pantheon, that becomes the saints. You start praying to Saint Christopher, Saint So and So, Saint So and So. So the pantheon that the Greeks and the Romans would have prayed to, right? You had Zeus, the major gods, and then you had this pantheon of. Okay, well that becomes the that becomes the saints. You start praying. You wear the little medallion and you pray to this guy, pray to that guy. Maybe they'll talk to Zeus for you, and uh, get things straightened out. Um, and number and these aren't in your notes. I just sketched these in tonight. Number eight is uh, well, who who's the queen of heaven? Just throw that one out. Yeah, the Virgin Mary, queen of heaven. That ties you all the way back to Babylon, Samaria, Samarimus and all that. So. Uh, so there's your there's your and we already saw that last week, so i 'm not going to talk about that much more, but all of those I came up with eight of them but you can also see this the papacy ends up bringing this monastic order, and a lot of this the children come out of that uh, this that is a newbie that is it is interesting i hadn 't even thought about that the queen of heaven hmm, For reproducing her in her kind, yeah oof, all right so i got ten minutes to finish this up, so let's get on with it. Um, so then this is your other question, Kim, is uh, the, the, the Bible. So what happens with the Bible? Because how does this tie back into origin, which is what your question was earlier. So Constantine orders 50 Bibles from Eusebius uh, for the Roman Empire. Which do you think, 50 Bibles, that's all? But you guys, have you ever seen a Bible that's written, I mean, even a printed Bible in the 1400s? I mean, that's a lot to do, and to, let alone writing this. Fifty of these written out by hand. That's a lot of writing. Scribal writing. It's a lot of work. So, fifty of those Bibles were written. Uh, and uh, all modern versions. All modern versions of the Bible are traced back to Eusebius, to Origins texts, which were used uh, to produce these Bibles. And I say modern, not, and I'm not referring to the Texas Receptus and the King James Bible. So... Uh, and for some of you this will be just you already know this but the two primary uh, texts even to this day if you get a Nestle's Greek New Testament um, you know whatever you're going to get uh, or a, a, a perversion of the Hebrew non-masoretic Hebrew text uh, in Greek it's going to be Codex Alf, uh, Aleph or we call around here Sinaiticus, and then Codex B which is Vaticanus. Uh, And they are the catalyst for all modern versions, and they're all in the marginal notes of most of your new translations. They're called the oldest and best, or the most reliable manuscripts. And when they don't like those, or they don't like the TR, you know what they put in? They put whatever they want, and then they call it conjecture. And the nice thing is, when you read their, you can't, you don't usually, you won't see the conjecture notes. In the margins of your New King James or your ESV or any of that, but if you go back to the Greek text that they're that they're taking it from, they will show you that because they have it in order. This is uh, by the scholars, the Greek and Hebrew scholars. They'll say this is the best trans. This is what we think is the best translation. This is what we think is the second. This is the third, and then oftentimes they'll put at the bottom C-O-N-G conjecture, and that's oftentimes what'll get plunked in your text. To, usually, to usually to either attack the deity of Christ or to support uh, baptism regeneration because baptism regeneration is the primary doctrine that gets attacked in most modern translations because they don't believe in salvation by grace through faith alone and Christ alone, his finished work alone. Yeah, and they don't like the blood. That's right. All right, so Sinaiticus and Vaticanus. Um, And so uh, these 50 Bibles over time become Jerome's, answering your question, Latin Vulgate which becomes the official Roman Catholic Bible. Jerome's Latin Vulgate. And so, um, so at this point, Christianity is flooded with paganism. Let me pause here. Was there any questions on that, that information? Yes, ma'am. Yes, you are, if you're a Roman Catholic. You are taught that Peter is the first <laughs> pope. That is make-believe. Uh, but they have to do that because they claim apostolic authority as you saw in the Nicene Creed so they they try to say that there's a successive you know uh trail just like we do but we don't believe we don't claim apostolic authority so uh in that sense we just we claim what we claim the record of what's been given to us so um they claim that oh we have the authority because pope peter was our first pope and then this this uh fella that I don't have listed up here um, Sylvester was called the uh, uh, he's labeled the 13th Apostle. Sylvester's labeled the 13th Apostle. He was uh, he, he was three fourteen to 336 so he crossed over here with Constantine and then uh, the next one which by the way the number of rebellion I don't want to be the 13th Apostle and uh, and by the way what happened in Acts chapter 1 to um, not to Judas but the uh, Matthias. So anyway, but who cares? Who cares about the Bible? You know. Uh, and then there's uh, Damasus from 366 to 384, and he commissioned Jerome uh, to translate this. So, the, getting back to our text, the guy that got the the Latin Vulgate started. Uh, was, I think it's Damasus. Yeah, Damasus. What an appropriate name, um, and so he was. He was uh, the second pope, and and uh, uh, and he was from three sixty six to three eighty four. He was after Sylvester, and he he was the one who commissioned the Latin Vulgate. And this isn't in your notes. These are just a few things I was. Uh, oh, by the way, he was also the first apostle. He was the per- first apostolic see apostolic which means and you still hear that the holy see is associated with the holy seat the holy, the holy seat of power he was the first apostolic see again claiming the power of the apostles and the seat they were in the seat of the apostles and then Pope Innocent was next from 401 to 417 not so innocent right just like uh, Brittany Spears so Pope Innocent, the first, uh, he was he was from uh, 401 to 417. Yeah, not so innocent. And and uh, he expanded the office beyond Rome. This guy, the, his claim to fame is, is that uh, uh, he he claimed to rule over the kings of the earth. So it, he became a world. He he claimed the world leadership. Which is exactly where the pont. So that you guys, this is interesting, because today the the pontiff still claims this. I mean, he is the vicar of Christ. That's that is the doctrinal teaching. The vicarious representative of Christ on earth is the Pope, the Holy. They call him now the Holy See and the Apostolic See. I'm sure, but the Holy. So this stuff, you think, oh, that that developed in 1200 AD. No, this stuff was developed soon after. I mean, you can see in the Nicene Creed, they're already using the terminology that's. And, and attaching themselves and their power to the, to the apostles. And so uh, that's why they have to go and come up with a successive line of Roman uh, popes. But there was no sense. How can you have a Roman Catholic pope when you don't have a Roman Catholic church? It makes absolutely no sense. I know, I know Pam, you're not, you're not buying that. But, uh, but you know, just thinking people. But you're not, as, and this is no offense, most Roman Catholics, especially outside the United States, are not taught to think. They're taught to obey. And you just believe what the church tells you. And you show up, take communion, and do whatever you're told. Yes, sir. Man, I wish I had a mic for you. Wow, I'm listening. listening. So Jeff's testimony was when he went. For those that are listening online, Jeff's testimony is that after he became a born again Christian, he started asking his priest. You're the second person I know that uh, Scott Schenkel helped us start the church here. Same very similar testimony. Other than his priest told him he needed to go somewhere else but in a different way, <laughs> but uh, he went to the priest and said, you know, asked Bible questions, and the priest didn't have the answers, and then told him he needed to, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but basically shut Jeff down and said, look, you need, to do what I, you need to just do what I tell you and quit asking these questions, and that's when you decided I'm out and went with the Bible over the, over the uh, priesthood. Uh, very similar. Scott Schenkel went to his priest, and his priest said, that gospel is right, but you're not going to hear it here, and you need to move on and basically encouraging to go find another church that preaches the gospel. I won't <laughs> oh, wow. I won't tell you where that church is, um, but it is in the metro, because I wouldn't want that priest to get in trouble. But uh, anyway, um, but Pope Leo comes after that, Leo the Great, and then monastic, monasticism started and morphed into um, the Smyrna period, which we'll talk about next time. Thank you, Jeff, for that testimony. Uh, Next week, let's get the mic out next week so we can hear some of these testimonies. Very good. We love Catholics here at Heartland. I just want you to know that. We, we have all kinds of Catholics here. And so we're not against Catholics. Um, but the teaching, oh, yeah, that's rotten. Okay, so let's talk about Christianity and paganism. Uh, Christianity then is flooded with paganism. Uh, you hear me use this term syncretism all the time. This is what exactly happened during this time, syncretism. So you got, uh, you know, the Christmas Mass, which, you know, uh, formerly known as the pagan Roman holiday of Saturnalia, like Saturn. It's worshiped the false god of Tammuz, which you got in your notes there, born of a virgin mother, uh, Samarimus, on December 25th. It's the winter solstice. Uh, It's switched to celebrate Jesus' birthday. And, of course, his birthday was probably the end of September, not December 25th. Uh, But we use it anyway, and we celebrate, because it's always good to talk about Jesus' birth. Ishtar, of course, the female deity, Easter, celebrated the worship of the goddess and mother Ashtar, centered on fertility and immoral practices, the eggs, the bunny, the rabbits, the whole nine yards. You guys are familiar probably with that. It was adopted by Christianity, and you still see it hopping around today. All right, the worship of Mary. She was formerly a Samarimus, of course. And uh, the Catholics call her "Queen of Heaven to this day, which is the same name as you find in Jeremiah 1417. And, and I'd like to look that up, but we're out of time. So 4417 and 4425. You can look that up on your own, and uh, for time's sake, I've got to keep moving. The Rosary, uh, which you also see, the rosary beads. you see those in Hinduism. you see those in uh, Islam, right? The same pagan process. Praying over those rosary beads. Uh, they were used back in 800 BC to count the prayers to Ashtar. That's where that comes from. That's nothing new under the sun. And they are used by, oh, I just, Muslim, Buddhists, and Hindus. If I just waited, I'd have gotten to it. All right. So, uh, and then there's the statues uh, renamed. So, Zeus becomes Peter. Um, Tammuz is now Jesus. Samarimus is now Mary. So, voila. There we go. And then uh, the symbols. Uh, the crosses, which used to be pagan, are now used to represent the cross of Christ. You really see that big time in uh, like uh, in the uh, a lot of the crosses, but especially in like the Egyptian, the uh, the uh, what am I trying to say there? The, the oh, I just talked about them last week, but the the uh, Coptic Church very 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 clearly um, uh, the phallic symbol, uh, which represents steeples from Egypt. Uh, designed to have intercourse with the gods, small g, in a location where they were worshipped. That's where that comes from, not to, throw, not to freak anyone out. They have a steeple on their church building, but that does go back to that uh, pagan symbol. And then uh, Dagon, the fish, the, Dagon uh, the fish priests wore that fish costume when they worshipped Dagon, the fish god. The fish symbols were used in worship of Dagon. Also, that's where they, they would sacrifice babies, to, human sacrifices to Dagon. So when you see, we even make fun of the pope, right? Because he has that fish hat on. That's what that is. It represents the head of a fish, and uh, it represents coming out of the deep. So all those symbols there—they're on your notes. You've seen all of those things. Those go back to ancient, uh, those ancient pagan religions very clearly, and uh, and so um, all an overview of the major events that take place during this period is the establishment of the political structure by the Roman Catholic Church. The political structure is established. The capital city uh, in the east is Constantinople, uh, which is um, modern-day, what is it, Istanbul, Uh, and the establishment of theological structure uh, of the Roman Catholic Church, which comes from the Council of Nicaea, the ultimate establishment of Jerome's Latin Vulgate, uh, the official Bible of the Roman Catholic Church, the establishment of the first official pope, Leo the Great, uh, 40 to 461 A.D., And then the adoption of the declaration that uh, the Pope is the substitute of Christ from the spiritual lineage of the Apostle Peter was also established at that time. Okay, so I'm a little over. I apologize. Um, Are there any questions? All right, so next time we'll get together, we will talk about Thyatira. And we'll pick it up from there next week, next Wednesday. Same time, same bat channel. All right, if you have any questions, feel free to call me, email me, um, whatever. And uh, please, if, you know what? I have a friend of mine one time. That, well, if you're upset because of what I said about the Roman Catholic Church, I would just counsel you this. Uh, I love Roman Catholics. Jesus loves Roman Catholics. But go here. Start right here and find salvation here. And see if it lines up with what you're taught in the church. And that's, that's, and that's the bottom line. I'm, not, I'm just saying you know, God saved me. I, I wanted to be. I was going to join the. I thought I'm going to join the Roman Catholic Church. It's the oldest church. the one true church. This was in my head before I got saved. And God, de, He derailed me, and met me where I was at. Showed me the gospel. Uh, I tell you, it's a seductive religion, but it is just that. And uh, and so, uh, I'm not trying to make anyone mad or upset, but it is what it is. And there's a reason in this country, there's Baptists, and uh, and there's a reason that we fled persecution because there wasn't a place to be free and believe this book and live the way we wanted to live. And so praise God for a place God made for a couple hundred years. Uh, And so I'm being super nice, but I promise you this, throughout the history of the church, Rome was not nearly as nice to the people who believe what I believe about this book. That's the truth. And you can go check it out yourself. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you and praise you for...